want to draw your attention to Luke chapter 17. Kids, listen up. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Those are two different areas. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his feet, or face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, as we were reading that, you go, I heard lepers in there. What's a leper? I'll explain that. And there's another word there, Samaritan. What is a Samaritan? We'll look at that as well. But before we do, I want to draw your attention to question and answer 20. Notice how simple the question and the answer is. I'll read the question, and then together, let's give the answer. Are all men then saved by Christ just as they perish through Adam? And let's say together, no, only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. And oh, wow, do you see that question and answer filled out in the ministry of Jesus? How many people did Jesus not heal, cleanse, make new? And the way that they took hold of that healing of Jesus was by their faith. They just believed Jesus. Jesus didn't say to people, you want healing? Then I want you to be a better person. You want healing? Then I have a list of 10 things that I want you to do, right? When Jesus healed a person, he healed them on the basis of their faith. So this afternoon, we're going to look at what we call the indispensability of faith. And kids, you go, I mean, what indispensability? That, what I'm saying by that is we're going to look at how the only way that we can come to Jesus and be rescued by him from our sins is by believing in him. Not being a better person, not doing better things, but actually by believing in him. Faith. That's what we're going to look at. The necessity of faith. Faith is like, it's like a man who is drowning, or a woman, or let's say even a child. Say as a child, you're, you're drowning in the waters, and, and you can't swim, and you're going deeper and deeper, and what do you do? You reach out your hand. Right? Did you ever do that as a, when you're a little kid? Right? You, you reach out your hand to, to, to daddy or mommy, right? And what do they do? Because they love you, they take hold of your hand, and they take you out of the water, and they rescue you. That's what faith is. Faith is that extended hand whereby you take hold of Jesus, and he rescues you. He saves you from drowning in your sin. Okay? We look at the importance of faith. And that, that faith comes to such beautiful expression in the miracle, uh, the miraculous mi uh, the ministry of miracles in the life of Jesus, and we see that here in our passage tonight. So without further ado, 
I want to draw, uh, draw your attention to that passage. So Jesus is traveling in his ministry, right? And as he's traveling, Jesus is met by ten lepers. That means that these men have leprosy. Now, kids, I don't know if you know what leprosy is, but leprosy is a terrible disease. Let me explain that disease to you. It's a disease that affects the skin all over the body. And it is also a disease that affects what we call the nerves of the body. So when you touch something cold, when you touch something hot, like if you have a hot stove and you put your finger there, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep it there? Say, that feels nice and warm. No, you're going to go like that because your finger is burning. Why do you feel that? It's because of the nerves in your body, right? But when a person has leprosy, it affects their skin and affects their nerves. So if they, let's say there's a fire outside and they put the foot in the fire, let's say, they won't even feel that. So their foot gets burned. And what happens if you get burned and you don't feel it? Well, then what happens is that that can open up your skin. It could cause infection. And sometimes you can, if you don't take care of the infection, you can lose your foot or you can lose your fingers, your hand, if you put it in hot fire. So they had a trouble with their nerves, and they had trouble with their skin, and also what leprosy does, it can produce all kinds of terrible deformities or bumps on your skin, and it make you, make you look, can, can look terrible, and people are afraid of you then. It's a terrible, terrible disease. And it affected many, many people in Jesus' day, and there was, no heal, there was no cure for it. They couldn't be healed of these things. They couldn't go to the doctor and the doctor say, I give you a pill, I give you an injection, and your leprosy will go away. So here are these people struggling with, with, this, with this leprosy. Now here's the thing with the, the lepers. You'll notice in the passage that it says that Jesus was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance from him. They didn't want to go right up to Jesus but maybe, maybe they stood away as far as I am from the girls here in the front row here, right? And he didn't, he didn't want to get too close to them, right? Or they didn't want to get too close to Jesus. You say, well, why is that? Why did they keep themselves a distance from Jesus? And here's the reason why. And by the way, people would oftentimes keep themselves from lepers too, okay? Well, why is that? Well, there's a couple reasons for that. Some people thought if they get too close to someone or if they themselves got too close to the lepers, they could actually get leprosy themselves. They thought that maybe it was contagious. Some leprosy was contagious, some others not, but they didn't know. But also this, there was a spiritual component to this leprosy. Now, kids, I don't know if you know this, but you'll read about this in the Bible, that if, if people would get too close to a leper or they would come in the company of lepers who tended to live in colonies on their own, away from other people, um, if people see lepers, what would they cry out to each other? Do you, you remember? They cry, unclean, unclean. That terrible thing to say about lepers? They're unclean, like they're dirty. They're saying they're dirty. Well, why would they say that they're dirty? Well, it's because many people at this time, especially people in the Jewish religion, believed that, that the reason why people were lepers is because they did something bad because they sinned against God, and they were under the judgment of God. AV team, if you put a, um, a, there you go. This comes from a book called The Drama of Scripture. Actually, we should put it on the back table. It's a very good book. 
And one writer writes this, he said, the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the Jews and the theologians, the Pharisees believed that many kinds of sinners, such as the poor and the sick and the disabled, should be excluded from fellowship within the community because they stood under the judgment of God. So the idea among the rulers of that day who disseminated this kind of information and this perspective to their people was this, if you were poor, if you were blind, if you were deaf, if you were mute, or if you were a leper, or if you were demon-possessed, the reason for that is because you must have sinned against God, or maybe your parents sinned against God, and now you are receiving the judgment of God. Isn't that a terrible thing? Right? So this is why people kept their distance from the lepers, and this is why the lepers kept their distance from Jesus, because they just figured Jesus was the kind of figure who probably thought that about them as well. So they didn't want to come directly into the presence of Jesus. But, as we move on in the story, that did not prevent them okay, from crying out to Jesus. And what did they cry out? It's very simple. And it's really a plea of desperation. Lord! Master, have mercy on us. Now, remember this morning when we look at the blind, they also, these people were begging Jesus. Remember that? Begging Jesus to heal this particular blind person of the village of Bethsaida. Because they didn't have the doctors who could cure them. They didn't have the medicines who could cure. Same thing here. The dep- these lepers see Jesus, and they're desperate because they realize if he doesn't heal us, then we're stuck being the way that we are. And being ostracized, that means being kept at a distance from other people. Jesus was their only hope. So they cry out together, ten lepers, Lord, Master, have mercy on us. And what's Jesus' response? Does he say, I hear you, you are healed, go your way, your faith has made you whole. No, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to show yourself to the priests. I want you to show yourself to the priests. Okay, now why did he say that? Why didn't he just heal them? Here's something to think about. When Jesus came into this world, he was dedicated to obeying his Father's will, and he was dedicated to obeying the Old Testament Scriptures. In fact, that's one of the, re- that's one of the things that he needed to do. Jesus needed to obey the law because you and I are lawbreakers. So if he's going to be a sufficient Savior, he needed to abide by the righteousness of the law. And when you look at the third book of the Bible, the book of Leviticus, if you read chapters 13 and 14, it's all dedicated to this issue of leprosy. And if people discovered that they had leprosy, where did they need to go? They needed to, be, they needed to go to the priest to be examined, looked over by the priest. Okay? So that's what Jesus calls them to do. But there's another reason, I think, why Jesus said, I want you to go to the priest. And that is because... He wanted these men to show the priest that they had actually been healed. Now, you say, well, when Jesus first said to them, go to the priest, they hadn't been healed yet. Now, it's very interesting. These lepers didn't say, okay, you want us to go to the priest, but can you heal us first? No, in faith, they believed Jesus at his word and obeyed his command And they went, without question, they went looking for the priest. And because of that, as they were going, the Bible says that Jesus healed them. 
Verse 13, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, it doesn't say before they went, it says as they went, they were cleansed. And so imagine that as they're walking along, you know, oftentimes the stories of the Bible leave so many details out, and your imagination start running, like, okay, they're walking along, these 10 guys are walking along, and they're full of leprosy, and they're deformed in various ways, and as they're walking, they notice something, and we're not, we're, we're, they're healed, right? And we get no indication of any kind of conversation that's going on between them. They just eventually get to the priest, and they show themselves to the priest, and you know what? The priest's like, what happened to you? Maybe the priests even knew who they were as lepers because they, because they live in the vicinity of the priest. Don't know. All that's left out. Anyway, they go to the priest. By the time they get there, they're cleansed. And the priest, no doubt, is going to ask, um, how is it that you're cleansed? Like, Jesus. It's Jesus. The word of Jesus gets out. Very, very interesting, right? So here they are. Now, I want you to notice something here in this story if you look closely at the wording, verse 14, when the lepers saw, or when Jesus saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, notice the first word that's used there. Maybe you can see that on the, on the overhead. As they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Notice the two different words there. First word is cleansed, and the second word is healed. It doesn't say they were healed, and then the second time it says they were healed. It says first the word cleanse is used. Now, if you look at the original language, there are two different words there, and that's why you have two different words here in our English text. First they were cleansed, then they were healed. What's the significance of that? The significance of that is as the lepers were, were, were going to the priests, when Jesus cleansed them, basically he's saying, you're spiritually clean. Because remember, before, people would cry out, unclean, unclean. Then Jesus heals them, and now they're what? They're cleansed. They're clean. They're spiritually clean. And they don't have to be held at a distance from people anymore. But then the second word here is not cleansed, but it's healed. Jesus heals them of what? He heals them of their deformities. He heals them of all their nerve damage and all the bumps on their skin and all of that. The, the point is that when Jesus heals an individual, he's not half a healer. He's a whole healer. He heals them physically, and he, he heals them spiritually. What a, what a beautiful thing. He's never half a savior, is he? He's a full savior. That's what we see here. Now, imagine this. All ten lepers here in this passage are healed at once. All of them are healed at once. When you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ and his healing ministry, we, we usually he, see Jesus healing one person at a time. Here's a group healing, a group cleansing, 10, 10 at one time. But here's the thing, okay, and this gets at a major point in the story. Only one returns to thank Jesus. Only one. And the interesting thing about this passage is that we read in verse 16, he fell on his face, uh, face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And the original language gives us the impression, as it's in the present continuous tense, that this was a guy who just did not fall at Jesus' feet and say, thank you. But he was profuse in his thanksgiving. In other words, he was continuously, present tense, continuous, 
thank him, thank you, thank you. Thank. I mean, in other words, it shows that his gratitude is really, really deep and it's ongoing. He, he, he is so thankful to God, right? And then Luke, um, Luke adds something here, and that is this. Look at verse 16. This is really, really important. It doesn't mention the man's name. He's never mentioned by name, but he is mentioned in terms of his ethnicity. Luke writes, now he was a Samaritan. Now, if you have your Bible, take a look at that, otherwise look at the overhead. I'm going to look at verse 16, I'm going to do something here. And this man fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. Did you know that that whole reference to the Samaritan could be erased and we would never know anything about it? It doesn't disrupt the story in any way. The reason why I bring that out is what Luke is intentionally doing is he's inserting that in here and saying, okay, readers or hearers, you need to know this, that this guy was a Samaritan. Now, why is that a significant thing? Well, there's a little history to this. Um, the, uh, the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along with each other very well. And the, the Orthodox Jews and the purebred Jews looked down upon the Samaritans because they viewed them as, and kids are going to think this is funny, but they were mutts in their mind. You know what a mutt is? Like, you have a dog, if you, have a pure, you can have a purebred dog or you can have a mutt. And a mutt is, is like maybe the, the mom is a bull mastiff and the dad is a poodle, or well, maybe not poodle, but anyway. And you get all these mixes in the dog. And, and maybe the grandparents of the dog were different mixes as well. So what you got there is a mutt, right? Not a purebred dog, but a mutt. And that's how the Jews looked at Samaritans. And there's a history to this. In 722 BC, what we understand is that there was a, there was a big nation at that time, a very powerful nation, that invaded Israel and invaded other nations and conquered the, the, the nation of Israel, and conquered the Jewish people. Again, it was the nation of Assyria. And what happened is that these Assyrians took many, not all, but many of the best of the Jewish people, the richest and the most talented and so on, not the weakest, but the best, and they took these individuals and they transported them all the way to Assyria. And then a number of Assyrians came and they came to the nation of Israel, and they started mixing with the Jewish people. So now what happens over time is as they're mixing with the Jewish people, they're in a sense, in the minds of the Orthodox Jews, you're watering down our race, you're watering down our religion, you're watering down our morals, and all of that. And that's why Orthodox purebred Jews will look at the Samaritans and say, you're a bunch of mutts, you're a bunch of mongrels, you're compromised, religious, morally, spiritually, all of that. So the point is, is that these, these Jews looked down upon, upon Samaritans. Now, here you have a Samaritan. What's the point of mentioning that? The point is, is, and you find this in the Bible sometimes, you find what we call ironies, kind of twists in a story. And the idea is this, the very ones who should have been thanking Jesus don't, and the very one who shouldn't care less about thanking Jesus actually does. Now, you got, you, got, you got ten lepers, remember this. Nine, all of them are healed, but, but nine do not come back to thank Jesus. I want to suggest to you that these were Jews. These were purebred Jews who had leprosy, but Jews nonetheless. Because 
What, the, the, the story wouldn't make sense if these people were non-Jews and Jesus go show yourself to the priests. I think we can read between the lines and say, well, these lepers were Jews, but you got one guy here, one leper who's not. He's a Samaritan. He's that mongrel. We expect the Jewish lepers to say thank you. They don't. But the Samaritan, the mud, does. I think sometimes, I won't spend too much time with this, but I, there, there, there's an idea sometimes in the Bible and in the ministry of Jesus where, remember, Jesus, first of all, came for his people, the Jewish people. We could say he came for the covenant people, for the churched people. The Messiah comes from his own people, and what do they do? They go like this, not interested. They presume everything's okay. Even sometimes it can happen in the church, right? You can grow up in church all your lives, right? And that's a beautiful thing. But sometimes it's very possible to, as the Bible says elsewhere, kind of lose your first love. Meanwhile, you got people from the street, like, once again, I heard there's a, this is coming in the church, there's a lady, she says, she saw people driving in, you guys driving in, she says, are you guys at uh, your church over there? I might want to visit sometime, you know? You never know who these people are, right? And a person like that can come into worship, and the very person you would think, eh, not interested, they end up drawing near to Christ, whereas the church people sometimes, they can be sometimes cold. So it's to pique our interest and really ask ourselves the question, really, how thankful am I just to be a Christian. How thankful am I to belong to this church? How thankful, above all, am I to, to, to belong to Christ and all the benefits of Christ? You know, really, how thankful are we? We're to be a people of gratitude, and it's to show on our faces. It's to show in the way that we worship. It's to show, it's just to shine out from our hearts so that people look at us and say, what is so different about you? You know? So, you know, more could be said. We have a lot to be thankful for. A lot to be thankful for. Okay. Now, I, I want to start, as I start drawing down to a close, this, this is the kind of passage where a, a preacher will preach on it for a Thanksgiving Day service, right? Because obviously it's about the need for Thanksgiving. But for our purposes here, and in this sermon this afternoon, the focus is not first and foremost on Thanksgiving, but faith. And with that in mind, I want you to go to the very last verse. Actually, let's put verse 18 and 19 together. Jesus asked, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this? Notice he calls him foreigner. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Notice that phrase, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you whole. In original language, which is noted actually in many English Standard Bibles in a footnote, Jesus literally says, your faith has saved you. Form of so-so, so-so. It sounds strange in the Greek, but it actually means it's, it's uh, the word for salvation. Or I save. Your faith has actually saved you, rescued you, delivered you. Remember where I talked about the hand of a drowning man reaching out to be saved from the from the floodwaters of this world. And that's what this man is doing. Now, it's very interesting when you examine the, the miracles of Jesus and the stories of the miracles of Jesus that you see, not always, but many times, that faith is the instrument whereby and the means whereby people are actually healed. Jesus never heals anybody just because he goes, you know what, I think you're a little bit more moral than that guy over there. I think you're worthy of it. Or you're a particularly really good person. I'm going to do that for you. 
Uh uh. We're all in the same boat, right? We're all sinners in need of grace. That when a person reaches out to Jesus in faith, Jesus grants them healing. Now, what I want to do is I want to draw your um, attention to that, which with some other scriptures. If you put them up there, yes, we'll start with that. Now, just to give you a sampling here, and notice the phrase, your faith has made you well, is not only found here. And Jesus said to him, Mark 10, 51 and 52, what do you want me to do for you? This is a, this is a man who's blind. And the blind man said, Rabbi, in other words, teacher, I would like to see. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Notice, your faith has made you well. And immediately he could see. Then, Mark chapter 5, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, fell down before him, and Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, Luke 9, and Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Remember, Jesus met a woman one time who was a sinner, and Jesus was meeting with a Pharisee named Simon. Remember, there's a woman who snuck into the house, and she began anointing Jesus' feet with perfume and wiping Um, his feet with her hair, and Simon's like, you know, if he knew what kind of woman this was. But Jesus forgives her. He says, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were eating with him said, who is that that even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, notice, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Matthew 9, 29, Jesus touched their eyes, again, blind men, and said to them, according to your faith, be it done to you. And then finally, Matthew 9, verse 2. And some people brought Jesus a paralytic. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. I could show you other places. But, you know, you get the point. So what do we see in the miracles of Jesus? What we see in the miracles of Jesus is exactly what we find in the Heidelberg here in question and answer 20. Are all men saved? by Christ, just as they perished through Adam? The answer is no. We are not universalists here, where we say, well, you know what? Everybody's in the same boat. Everybody's sinners. Everybody's in need of grace and the forgiveness of God in Christ. And so, praise God, you know, in the end, everybody's going to be in heaven. No, no. Only those are saved who, by a true faith, are grafted into Christ and accept all His benefits. Yeah, that that should give us a bit of a burden in our hearts, shouldn't it, for those who are outside of Christ. That's why the church exists, to bring the gospel to these kinds of people. And also to understand that by the grace of God go any one of us, right? So, So what we see in a passage, what we see in the miraculous ministry of Jesus Christ, and what we see confirmed in this document that goes back all the way to 1563, is that that faith has always been the means or the instrument whereby we take hold of Christ, whereby we are like wild branches grafted into a vine. Through faith, we are grafted into Christ. By faith, we find our life in Christ. By faith, we are united to Christ. By faith, we receive all the benefits of Jesus Christ, like love, forgiveness, the ministry of His Spirit, so many things, eternal life itself, life in this life as well as the life to come. That all comes by faith in Christ and faith alone. Okay? We don't, 
We don't somehow earn our way into God's good graces through Jesus Christ on the basis of who we are. Or we don't work our way to God in any way on the basis of what we've ever done. You know, we're not a works-based religion in that sense. Neither does the Bible say, well, you know what? You need to believe in Jesus Christ, but your works are also meritorious as well. So you can, Christ earned something for you, but you earn something as well. Or Christ began the work for you of bringing you to God, but you've got to finish the work yourself. Some Christians do that, you know. They go, you believe in Jesus, right? And they go, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But, the, but, but then they're going through their lives as if somehow... Everything that they're doing in this life is somehow, in the end, going to complement Jesus' work on our behalf as if Jesus is not a sufficient Savior. <laughs> listen, listen to this carefully. Jesus is never half a Savior. He's never a three-quarter Savior. He's 100% Savior. He is totally sufficient, totally sufficient to, to, to bring us to God and to keep us in the palm of His hand. And we need to rejoice in that. And we need to have confidence in that. And I'll leave you with this. The Bible teaches us that faith comes to expression in different ways. And we need to be open with each other about that and accept that among us. Sometimes faith is simple, like a child's. A childlike faith and a simple faith is beautiful in the eyes of God. And we never look at our children here and say, Oh, you don't ever understand everything in this story? Oh, you don't understand all the profound doctrines found in this document that goes back many years? Hmm. No, we accept the faith of our children, no matter how small, no matter how simple, because we love our kids, because our Lord, the Lord loves our kids, right? So sometimes faith is simple. Sometimes faith is just initially kind of small. Like, like in the Bible where this, where this man who's, whose son is demon-possessed and, and he pleads for Jesus to heal his son, you know. And Jesus asks him, do, do, do you really believe that I can do this? Do you remember the man's response? He says, yeah, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Sometimes faith is small. Sometimes faith is simple. Sometimes that faith is just kind of, I don't know, unsophisticated, not fully formed. Like, um, like this woman who, the Bible says, had an issue of blood. Don't know all was going on there, but she had an issue of blood. She was, she was losing a lot, of, a lot of blood. So you can imagine when you lose a lot of blood over the course of your life, you're a very, very weak person, right? And you remember, she saw Jesus, and she said to herself, if I can only just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. Not a very sophisticated faith. Not exactly someone who's, who's got a THD or PhD in theology, right? It's like, if I just touch, if I just touch. And she did. And Jesus said, somebody, somebody touched me. And the disciples were like, how do you know? He says, power has gone forth from me. Faith is small. Sometimes it's unsophisticated. Simple. And sometimes it just comes in the form of a desperate plea where you just cry out to God. Just cry out like these lepers. Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy. And it's a beautiful thing in the eyes of God. Not to say you don't have a lot to learn after that, but that the beginnings of that faith, even if it comes in the form of a desperate 
display to something beautiful to God. So, so here's the thing. Your faith can be simple. It can be unsophisticated. It can be very deep and very knowledgeable. But how, whatever form it comes in, it has to be genuine. It has to be true. What does that look like, though? What does really a true, genuine faith in Christ look like? Well, stay tuned. Now, you've got to come next uh, Sunday afternoon because we're going to examine in detail what a genuine faith in Christ looks like. And if you're struggling with this and you're kind of going, I don't know if I have really true faith or not, come next week and you'll discover what it's all about. Okay? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we draw near to you, Lord. You call us to have faith. Even if it's a small, simple, unsophisticated faith, Lord, still you call us to draw near to Christ and find in him our joy, our forgiveness, indeed life itself. God, continue to work faith in our lives, we pray. And if we've never in our lives come to a sincere faith in Christ, oh God, use the ministry of this church and this pulpit indeed to bring us to that point. So Father, thank you that we could come again this day, not just to hear the word, hear you speak to us, but just to enjoy the fellowship that we have together. It's sweet, Lord. Thank you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.